I'm here again with Christina Gadd on Trainer Tools back again. How are you, Christina? I'm great, thank you. Feeling quite energised, actually, and raring to go. Well, that's because you've got your new standy-up desk, isn't it? It is, it is. And, um, yeah, I'm seeing what difference that will make to my back and just generally my energy levels. So uh, I don't know whether you can tell via audio whether somebody's standing up or sitting down. Interesting to know. I don't know. Are you standing now? I am standing now, yes. I don't know. if I, well, I suppose it must change the timbre of your voice, but I'm not sure if I'm uh, skilled enough in subtle listening to notice the difference. I knew you were standing yeah. up, though, because you told me. Yes, yeah. So that was a bit of a cheat. It was a bit of a giveaway. And technically, that was audio. Yeah, absolutely. But yes, raring to go. Really excited to be talking about the fourth secret of accelerated learning. Well, that's good because I'm completely knackered. So hopefully your excitement and enthusiasm will make up for my complete sloth-like lack of energy. Oh, I'm sure it's not. You need pro- you need to probably take on board some of these tips, actually. Maybe do something in your environment to sort of give you a bit of a boost. Well, practice what I preach. I'm not sure about that, Chris. That's quite radical. <laughs> Shouldn't go that far. Oh, I think I've caught you on a down day, John. This isn't well, like you. Well, I know it's it's late on a Thursday, and we're uh, we're recording this in the middle of December as well. So it's cold, and it's you know Christmas holidays coming up. Yes, I'm just knackered, quite frankly. So, but I am going to fake uh, energy for the next sort of forty odd minutes or so for the duration of this podcast. So we're talking about the five secrets of accelerated learning. Yes, we are. Regular listeners of this will, of course, know all about those because we've done loads of podcasts on this before. But we're going into detail on each each one, each of those secrets. They're not secret at all. Now they've been on a podcast. Well, I've told them now. Yeah, if they're a yeah. secret, I have to kill somebody, but I don't have to do that because people know about them now. Yeah. Yeah. So this one is the fourth one. So yeah. just tell us what it is. Yes, it's all about the environment. So it's about thinking about the environment. And um, it's not just the physical environment. It's also the social and emotional environment as well. I've been looking forward to this one because I think it's something that often gets overlooked or under underemphasized because it's one of those things that sort of people seem to not take enough care over in my experience mm-hmm. and I've I tend to with my job for example I travel around a fair bit and you get put in all sorts of rooms that you've never necessarily had the chance to check out in advance mm-hmm. and you sometimes you're stuck in basements you got stuck in like hotel bedrooms and stuff like mm-hmm. that you know environments that are I mean some brilliant environments as well yeah but, but it always feels like it's just like an afterthought or it's well, no, a zero thought, no thought. I mean, I do. When I'm going to clients, I do ask them if they can get the biggest room that they can possibly have. I mean, not just not like a an aircraft hangar sort of thing, but, you know, somewhere where we've got some space to move around. So if it's, um, say, 12 people um, that we're uh, facilitating with, then I'll say, well, a room that maybe, you know, can fit twice as many people in, but you've got room around so that you can move around as well. So I do sort of like, you know, chat to people about getting the best room and how important that environment is as well. So try to sort of make that little bit of effort up front just to find out. Now, it makes sense. But you also said then in your introduction that it's actually not just a physical environment. And as soon as you said environment, that's just where I leapt to. But you also yes. mentioned uh, social and emotional. So uh, is the best thing to do, is it just worth, should we just go through these in order? But I mean, I know there's going to be some crossover. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, let's do that. 
I suppose physical is the one that's kind of least crossovery, and social and emotional, I guess, are going to be more connected. So should we start with physical because that's probably easier as well? Yeah, and just what you said there about social and emotional being connected, um, I I might pull you up on that one because actually the physical environment also affects the social and emotional as well. So they are all three they're linked and I've learned that through experience and learned that through things that have happened you know in in a training room in a classroom and let me just give you one example which sort of like really made me think um, at the end of a workshop that I was running for um, a bunch of facilitators and there was a guy who um, he'd been a trainer for over 20 years and when I'd asked everybody about you know what, what's had the biggest impact on them he said oh the environment you know the classroom how it's been set up and I said to the whole group oh, how did it make you feel when you walked in and one lady said oh it made me feel valued and oh, right. so here's a physical environment the setup of it having an emotional effect on somebody and I was really quite taken with with this I sort of said oh how how's that sort of made you feel valued you said well just the amount of effort that you put in to setting up the room the posters everything you know it's brightly colored it's attractive you know it aroused our curiosity and I and I said to her well I have gone to some effort but I don't um I don't sort of like create a brand new set of posters for everybody I have a lot of corner cutting or cost no time saving sort of tips in that I have posters that I reuse you know um, either printed out or drawn on vinyl you didn't need to explain all that Chris you could have just taken the compliment I yeah but I was curious you see because for somebody to say that you know this made me feel valued it really stopped me in my tracks you know so how does putting up a few posters and making it look curious and bright and inviting and what have you how does that make you feel valued you know and if as a trainer or a facilitator you can make people feel valued when they come in isn't that going to increase engagement as well and and how much they're bought into what you're doing yeah, definitely. So it's just, it's really, really made me think about the environment. And, and as you say, it's something that people probably don't necessarily give that much thought to. Um, they probably sort of like may put some posters up and maybe a array. I've seen sort of like people put pictures on LinkedIn of, you know, their corporate um, training rooms. And it's usually nice and neat sort of notes put on the desk with maybe pens out and very few posters, quite clinical, nothing which I would go, wow, I can't wait to get in there. What's going to happen so that's the sort of response that I'm going for really what is it we're going to be doing here this looks great you know this looks like fun this looks engaging so yeah there is that link between those three but yeah I, I yeah let's start with the the physical environment um okay one of my key things that I, I want to do is arouse that curiosity with people. So it's thinking about what will I put on the walls? What will I put in the room to make them curious? And sometimes I'll bring in, I've got a really nice box um, and I've, I've put lovely paper on it and it's got lovely bow on it. And I'll put stuff inside the box and I'll just leave it on the desk at the front and people will get curious. And by mid-morning, somebody will say, Chris, what's in the box? You know, and it's sort of arousing that curiosity. And I may have some activities in there or I may have um, some prizes in there or 
generally, you know, just something that I'm bringing along. But, it, you know, it's sort of like it's making people engage with what's in the room. And I'll, I've got some posters now. I've been doing posters for years that I've tried to reuse. And when I used to do paper flip charts, I'd start off by put um, masking tape on the corners to, to be able to reuse them. And then I discovered Magic Whiteboard. And I use um, Sharpies on Magic Whiteboard to, to make permanent uh, posters. But now we're actually, because people have complimented me so many, so many times on the posters, we're actually selling posters on the website now, which are on like thin vinyl and they're reusable. But the whole point of having reusable posters is that you can very, very quickly, even with sort of like 10, 15 minutes, you can shove a few posters up and make the room look quite different make it look less clinical less stark look at, make it look more inviting arouse that curiosity and make people want to come in and learn i mean you started off this this bit by challenging me on because I, I i sort of said physical might be a bit separate from social and emotional yeah and and now you're sort of explaining why you're challenging me that and it makes sense what you're saying because i started off saying the same thing myself that the physical environment really impacts you and can energize or de-energize you or whatever yeah. So, so I, I I accept your challenge on that point. Okay. Uh, okay. Fair so enough. Chris won. John nil. So it's far. not a competition, Chris. Oh, not sorry. A competition. Not <laughs> sorry. When I'm lo- not when I'm losing anyway. Maybe okay. come one. Okay. Um, no, you always challenge me on whenever we do this. I always disagree. Do I? Do I? It must be a thing that I do. Yeah. 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 So uh, you were saying that physical environment. Uh, what I what I've written down here is you is that creating curiosity. And that, as you said, when you described the more clinical training room, you don't sort of think, oh, let me get in that room because the room yeah. kind of looks like work and sort of hard corners and professionals and all that stuff. Yeah. Whereas you're trying to create an environment that looks more inviting, just that's more interesting and, and uh, you know, creates curiosity, as you said. Yeah. The box, the box idea is a really good one. So that's just putting a box in there that just you don't even explain. Yeah. And it's just there and it's just got stuff in it, like activities you mentioned or prizes. Yeah. And do you know what? We are all curious beings, really, aren't we? And so we're attracted to bright things, to different things and everything. And why not just use that curiosity? Why not do that? Um, and, And I've got to say something about room layout as well, because sometimes it's fixed. Uh, sometimes it isn't and sometimes people think that it's fixed as well that you can't do anything with it so there's a number of things if you've got if you've got some options about the room layout then think about what you're trying to create what sort of atmosphere you're trying to create if you're going to do things in rows it's going to be very classical very teaching type environment not necessarily very much interaction and people will tend to fall into that you know sort of persona of when they were back in school really so um i avoid that like the play to be honest that sort of you know desks in in rows i used to have to do it when i did it training and so these days i sort of prefer I I do cabaret which is good for group work Um, I also do I call it boardroom but it's not really when we do the learning loop game um, we have one central table in the middle and then we have lots of tables on the outside and the table in the middle is big enough to seat everyone around and play the game but then the tables on the outside next to the walls have got activities on them and so that's that's why I'm saying about if you can get a bigger room than you actually need to seat so many people you can start to use that space really really well I've been in your situation where I've been given a room and and I think probably one of the most difficult ones is where you've got say 
uh, desks around the edge where you've got maybe computer terminals and then you've got a space in the middle. And um, and I had one of these, I remember, and I wanted to make it more interactive. So I just turned everybody's chairs round and put them in a horseshoe. And then to cover up the screen so they weren't tempted to use them, I put... Um, quotations on them, use them sort of like a, as extra wall space and um, and then had some activities. I put um, some masking tape on the floor in a box and then some adapt- activities on the floor in that box on the floor, as well as maybe some sweets and other things as well that might arouse curiosity. So it's all the same thing, isn't it, that you're trying to do is break out of that structure and put stuff yeah. that's colourful and curious and makes people ask questions. And the box idea you mentioned there, quotes. I guess your posters form a similar thing. I guess the posters are quotes or bits of content that you might be discussing. Is that right? Yeah. In a colourful way, I guess, having seen your posters. They are bits of content. And when we play the learning loop game, um, I do sort of say to them as they're coming in and we're sort of uh, doing the introductions in a sort of not an icebreaker way, in sort of like a, a normal human sort of way, you know, just saying hello and come and meet such and such a body. And so um, I do sort of invite them to have a look at the posters and say to them sort of cheekily that some of the answers to the questions in the game might be on the posters. So familiarise yourself with them. And there's a couple of posters I throw in there, um, which actually I never mention until... Um, we get to a particular point where we start talking about the brain and, you know, how it works and stuff and how, you know, you can use peripheral vision, how you can decorate a room and still have people learning from that room. And there's one particular poster which is about adding colour and it's got some statistics on it about long term and short term memory. And at one point I might go to people, OK, so with, and I'll stand in front of the poster so they can't see it and say, so um, can anyone remember uh, by how much colour? improves short-term memory and improves long-term memory and everybody will be able to tell me those numbers everybody and we've not even talked about it it's just been on the wall and so if there are facts and figures that you need to tell people you need to disseminate put them on the wall people will read them as they're looking around and they'll take them in subliminally yeah that's a really good method i used to do that when i taught english many many years ago oh yeah so much english words with pictures on the wall and people, you, you just learn it naturally because you just look around at everything, don't you? And uh, You do. And if there's something colourful. Yeah, something colourful, yeah. Uh, and, and the thing is that that poster is very colourful as well. So it sort of like, you know, doubly enforces, you know, what, what you're trying to put across. So, um, yeah, it's a very good point. I think the main point here is I don't think we're probably saying stuff that most people that listen to this don't already know about. I think it's just a really useful reminder that it's worth the effort doing this. And it's worth getting these kind of vinyl ones that you talked about so you can reuse them so it's very quick and easy. It's worth thinking about things like the, the box idea that you said, which just arouses curiosity. Mm-hmm. So it, it is worth doing these things. That's the point I guess we're making here. It is, it is worth doing it. And I've had enough people who have made a comment and they've said something about the environment that it's really sort of, you know, driven it home to me that I'll keep making that effort, you know, because I remember oh, quite a number of years ago now when I started to break out of, you know, the, the corporate uh, life that I was doing and, and go freelance and I ran a workshop and one one person um, who walked into this workshop, she just stopped and she just went, wow. 
I looked around and and later on I did interview her and I said, what made you go, wow, Becky? And she said, well, it was just the room. It was set up. It was bright. It roused my curiosity. We didn't need an icebreaker because we were all going, oh, look. And I quite often, if I have sweets that I bring along, I use those old fashioned ones, you know, the ones that that a lot of people recognize from their childhood like love hearts and things like that and it's usually a form of nostalgia as well so um yeah it's just and i I completely agree with that it it acts like an icebreaker uh, in that it breaks the ice people are curious and it gives people something to do and i don't tend to do icebreakers you know i I don't like the creeping death thing that you go around the room. I I feel uncomfortable if I ever have to do that. So I don't subject people to that. I just introduce them to each other. And and I was running an event yesterday and, um, you know, I allow time in the schedule that people have coffee. And I say, please introduce yourselves to each other. There will be group work. You'll get to know other people. But please say hello. Find out what you do. We don't do those introductions because I just feel uncomfortable doing them and people don't enjoy them really no they don't and they don't really listen because they're just thinking about what they're going to say absolutely yeah and then when it's finished they're just thinking about what they wish they'd said yes yeah and occasionally i'll get people saying oh i wish we'd known what everybody does and i just think well go speak to people that's what we should be doing you know so do you do you tone this down at all if for certain audiences like if you're going to be meeting a group of senior managers or something like that no (laughs) Good, good for world. you. Good for you. I'm glad you said that. No, I don't actually, because um, this is what I believe works. I've done it enough um, for long enough to know how it makes people feel. And one thing that I, I do know is that people are often amazed at how quickly the group gels how quickly um, people start really opening up and are honest with each other. And there's a trust thing that happens as well. I think if you start people sort of um, with this creeping death thing where they're introducing themselves, people can get a bit puffed up and then other people can feel inadequate in in their presence sort of things. Whereas this is a a real levelling thing. This is everybody comes in, say hello to Jim, say hello to Sally, say hello to Fred, you know, you know, go over there, haven't met them, whatever. And I think it's just a, a natural way to do it. And I, yeah, I mean, yes, find out what they do, but you do that, find out what they do and see if you've got something in common, see if you've got something that you can share. And this event that we had yesterday, there was so much honesty, so much trust, so much sharing. And I think part of it is about how you set that, that environment up, you know? So no, I don't, I don't tone it down. Do you, where do you stand on the great fiddly toy debate? Do you do you go big for this? Um, I I have fiddly toys, but fiddly toys aren't just the be all and end all. They're there if people are fiddlers, and so on the table. If we've got a table in front of them, or if we're in cabaret or whatever, I'll have pens, I'll have paper, I'll have handouts. Um, I will have some fiddly toys and. Uh, and I know from, for instance, my my eldest son, he's dyspraxic and dyslexic and he's I mean, he's grown up now. But at school, he used to have a little bit of um, blue tack that he kept in his pocket to fiddle with so that he could concentrate. So I know that some people are fiddlers and they need that sort of um, tactile, that kinesthetic sort of stimulation um, to to help them concentrate 
Um, it takes pressure off the prefrontal cortex. I've learned that as well. So that's why it works. So I do it. I do have them, but it's it's not sort of I don't force everybody to play with them. It's not the be all and end all, as you say, but it, is, no, it does, does have value. It's, it's not it's not just a it's gimmick. It's amazing. It's amazing what people will do with um, a, a packet of um, of pipe cleaners that I paid one pound for, and how much amusement it gives them. Though, so um, I, I I don't spend tons of money on fiddle toys, but I have something there that people can fiddle with if that's what they do. Yeah, well, as a fiddler myself, I can say that I I always look forward to the fiddle toys. To be honest. Do you? Yeah. Do you? I, they were. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's just I don't know how much it helps, but they I do fidget and fiddle a lot and it just it does help me. I, I think it helps me concentrate. Yes. Yeah. Well, as I say, the brain sort of bit of that is that it actually stimulates um, a part of the brain and, and takes pressure off the prefrontal cortex. Prefrontal cortex is for that higher learning and it takes a bit of pressure off it. Apparently, that's what I've learned. So um, that sounds like the, that sounds like we're getting into the fifth secret there. Oh yeah, it does, doesn't it? Well, let's yeah, stop. Yeah, doing hold, that. hold let's it. Do yeah, that. don't. don't, don't we spill. can't give away too much. No, don't spill the beans on that yet. Let's let's move on because we're talking about physical then, but we've also sneaked in social stuff and the, indeed yeah. emotional stuff. As you quite rightly said, these things are all linked up because you yeah. talked about how the environment is deliberately designed to make people talk to each other and how you're bringing things like coffee breaks and stuff, which you know, again, use those as a way of building the relationship. So. What's within the social environment? So the social environment, and again, I will have to sort of like bring in a little bit of brain stuff here, but basically we learn better together. You know, there's that part of the research. Everybody? Um, that, like if you're in a learning situation, people tend to do better in group work than actually necessarily individual. And I'm, this is sort of like sweeping generalization. This is what some of the research has found. But it's sort of like people, like for instance, if you think about when you go into, um, when you go into a workshop, if you are all individually given some work to do and a time limit to do it, it puts a lot of pressure on you as a learner. If you are working in pairs and you have to come up with something, it feels a little bit safer or small groups even safer still because the pressure isn't just all on you. So it sort of takes pressure off the learners a little bit by actually making the learning social. So um, during um, during any workshops, I will do I'll do both individual and group work as well, but I try and make it social so that they feel safe and and again that sort of links into the emotional parts of the environment but um, if I'm working with um, an in-house team um, I might try a team challenge or some sort of collaboration beforehand um, maybe via an online tool like Linoit um, which is like a messaging board um, I might group them and pair them to do something as well beforehand and again it sort of creates that sort of like social bonding because you know we are sort of social creatures and we also again another thing about uh, the brain if we feel isolation it's it's the same pain that we feel as physical pain or the same way that we feel it in our brains as it is physical pain so social isolation can actually be very traumatic for people and it can take them back to the school days as well. So if you encourage that social interaction, it helps people to learn better. It makes them feel safe. Do you change your, uh, what am I trying to say? Do you change your 
approach throughout the day and because you know how the group is, will initially be forming and then people will be getting to know each other more and then you know before they actually get the social bonds they'll have been go through various stages so are you kind of thinking about that yes yes i am and so for especially for for instance um the learning workshop which we have um a game uh, which we play in half an hour to 40 minute bursts throughout two days and so i create teams to start off with um which they will play the game in these bursts and so i do um, a survey before um, a learning needs analysis survey to find out where they are and what their confidence levels are in various topics and i put them put the groups together according to how i think they'll work well and so in a group i'll put somebody who's very confident and very knowledgeable with somebody who's less confident and less knowledgeable and then anything in between depending on the size of the groups and um, i'll start them off on um, activities which you know are very much group activities um, and then as the day wears on there'll be more things which i'll i'll challenge them on which they'll have to do they'll have to do um, more you know work on their own so yeah i do i change the approach and so in a two-day workshop, perhaps, um, I'm thinking about the challenge between working with people and then maybe on their own may sort of like increase throughout that two days. But they start off safe and, you know, with other people and then challenged more to actually break out and do things on their own. Uh, and the groups are mixed up to do different activities as well. And I will think about how I'll put the groups together. And some of the group groupings, I rarely, rarely sort of say, oh, just just arrange yourselves in in three groups because if I know people who are coming what I want to do is make sure we make the most of those groups and so I will choose those groups in and I might change those on the day once I start to get to know them uh, and tweak them but I, I will actually choose those groupings yeah I so you are thinking deliberately all the time about putting people together it's all very conscious thought it is yeah so, you, so you're taking this social stuff very deliberately you're really thinking about it consciously thinking about how to put groups together consciously looking for opportunities for people to work together and just I guess informally engage you mentioned the coffee breaks earlier you mentioned introducing people and yeah. you mentioned that anyway be better for learning but it's also creating that nice environment so we are again linking very closely to emotional stuff yeah all, all of this you can't not connect these two things no. so so though what should we specifically be thinking about in terms of the emotional environment? So I always think to myself, how do I want them to feel when they walk in? So I'd like them to feel excited. I'd like them to feel curious. Um, I'd like them to feel motivated. I'd like them to feel engaged. But I'm not so naive as to think that everybody will be feeling the same at the same point. Now, I've got a bunch of emoji cards that I use, which are very useful. I used them yesterday as well. And sometimes right at the beginning, if I think it's going to be a tricky group, what I might do with these emoji cards is sort of uh, spread them on a table or on the floor and say, OK, so just um, look at these cards. Think in your heads just now how you feel and pick the card that uh, mostly represents how you feel right now at the moment. And uh, try not to kill each other, basically, when you try and go for the card when I say ready, steady, go. Right. And maybe have a second card in mind in case you're 
individuals get get snapped up by somebody. Uh, so if it, if I do think it's going to be a tricky group, I might actually get all of that stuff out of the way and and reassure them that you know that's okay to feel like that, you know. But it sort of gets it out there. The other thing that I do is that uh, in the emails, in the welcome emails, I try and reassure them that this is going to be a safe environment. Um, there's going to be confidentiality. I'll manage their expectations. I'll ask them what their objectives are as well, what they would like to get out of it to try and get that buy in as well. And the other thing is that once they actually arrive there, I do what, what they call is an, an all inclusive welcome. Have you come across that, John, in NLP? Not in those, not in that language, no. No, so I came across this and I thought, what a lovely way to actually um, greet people. And it's a very, very simple thing. You think about all the different states that people might be in. and Basically, you welcome them all in. And and basically, you're saying through this welcome that it's okay to be like that. So I might sort of say, like yesterday, I said, so some of you might be as excited as I am about today. And I hope that you're going to be not going to go away disappointed, but you're going to go away energised. If you're maybe feeling a little bit nervous about it, this is a safe environment um, that you'll be working in. There's confidentiality rules. We're going to respect those. And, you know, I won't be asking you to do anything that's going to be embarrassing or puts you out of, um, you know, hugely out of your comfort zone. And so I sort of go through that. And I I might mention a few other, you know, states that people might be in. And so I use that all-inclusive welcome to sort of bring people in but also I would also um, I, I also like to start with a story and so yesterday was all about breaking the rules and creativity and so the story that I started off with all led to that sort of well you've got a choice here you can either be creative and want to be creative and I go at it or you can just not be creative it's up to you so yeah so that emotional bit comes in emails it comes from the room setup it comes from the social bit it comes from the welcome at the beginning and all of those things together um, I have found work really really well to get people in a really good state to actually start very very quickly without the use of an icebreaker so I'd rather do all of those things than do an icebreaker because I sometimes feel that it jars when you do them. You're sort of almost stopping that chatting and getting to know each other and say, OK, we're going to do an icebreaker now. And people immediately think, oh, no, I wonder what this is going to be. It's going to be something embarrassing. And I can't think of all these things or, you know, like the two lies and a truth or two truths and a lie or whatever. Tell us something really interesting yeah. about yourself. Yes, tell us really interesting. Yes, tell us something that nobody else knows. How many interesting things that nobody knows? For most of us, there aren't that many. If nobody knows it, it's usually for a good reason. We don't want them to. Yes, and it's just putting people on the spot, really, I think. Yeah, yeah. I remember as well the other thing that really spoke to me. We were doing, it was called Break the Rules, and it's looking at disruptive learning methodologies. And we were doing something called Clinic, and it's got a structure to it. And anyway, people were sharing stuff. And one thing that somebody said was it because it's got a structure and it works in a particular way and it's a framework sort of thing. People were sharing stuff. And, you know, somebody said oh, it was great how people were, you know, they made themselves vulnerable and actually shared this stuff. And and again, we tried another thing, which was show and tell, which used a story structure. And it was six simple steps. And using those six sim- simple steps, people told about themselves without me saying, tell me something that, you know, is really sort of special about you or whatever. 
together. People shared that in a natural way, you know, when they felt that trust in the room as well, you know. So you can create that without these icebreakers that make people feel a bit awkward, really. Yeah, I, I think, as you say, it, it's that consciously thinking about the emotional environment is 90% of the battle, really, isn't it? There's techniques like the all-inclusive welcome that you just mentioned. Yeah. But a lot of the time, it's just being conscious of it and just being aware of it and trying to make people feel comfortable and welcome and accepted or what, whatever. And, you know, I think also accepting the fact that not everybody will feel the same that there will be people who really aren't looking forward to this. And you usually can spot them as they're coming in. And to to a, I don't know, I, I, I'm not saying I ignore that. But what I do is I believe in this sort of setup and how we do this enough that I know people will settle in quite quickly. I, you know, I can't think of anybody, you know, in the last few years when we're using this approach, I can't think of anybody who hasn't sort of settled in and got into it and then being able to sort of like participate and then you know they'll admit later on in the day oh yeah I did feel really nervous about it but you know it was great we sort of got into stuff and got into the activities and it was great so it sort of reaffirms what what we do and how we do it and encourages me to keep on doing it this way as well. I'm going to just make a slight defense of icebreakers here for a second okay yeah uh, because we have recorded podcasts in the past about icebreakers and i yeah. I, can't, I admit i kind of don't really use them either but what i do do is i make sure that any early activities or early part of the day whatever it is is also breaking ice if yes. there, is, there might not even be any ice but you know what i mean it's also kind of yes. building the social yeah. um, environment of the room i guess is what i'm doing yeah so it's not necessarily a discrete icebreaker where you have some creeping death malarkey going on, but it is something where there will definitely be movement, there'll definitely be a social element, um, there'll definitely be an attempt to build that social well, social environment. I'm repeating myself here. But I just want to sort of put a slight defence in there for icebreakers. Yeah, and, and and to be honest, John, I'm not completely against them. It may sound like it, but what I, what I suppose I'm, bit, I'm saying yeah. is that... Do I? Do I sound yeah, like I'm a bit? I sound like you're a bit, you know. Yeah, if they are an extra bit of learning, which sort of um, is focused on the topic and you're getting people to work together in a safe way to start off with um, and they're learning about each other, just to, you know, I, I'm completely okay with those because, you know, I might even do something like that. So a quick exercise just to think about or, you know, um, give some context to this topic. I might do something like that so I, I'm not entirely against it but that sort of you don't really get to know each other until you sort of like do the creeping death I just I, I, I definitely am against that sort of thing you know I want people to feel welcome it's, it would be a little bit like as, as we've got Christmas coming it'd be like your family's coming in on Christmas day and welcoming and everything everyone's chatting away and then you suddenly sort of ring a bell or whatever and you say excuse me okay we're just going to sit down now and we're going to tell everybody two truths and a lie you've got to guess what it is and uh, introduce yourself tell say what you do and where you're from and everything we just wouldn't do it because it would just spoil the atmosphere if everyone's chatting and and the ice is broken why do we need to do it and and I just think sometimes that word icebreaker you're inferring that there is some ice to be broken as well but I'm not entirely against them if it's if, if they're geared towards the topic that you're actually um, trying to learn about 
Yeah, okay. Well, let's call them, let's agree to call them social environment building activities. <laughs> which isn't a very <laughs> snappy a name. It is, but... No, no it's no. not. It's That's... not, is it? No. Oh, or no. warm-ups. How about warm-ups? No, I don't like that either. You don't like that either? No, because no. I think that the point is it's about early activities that, that are deliberately designed to build the social environment, but are also yeah. on topic. They're also relevant. To yeah. what you're trying to achieve in the day, the objectives of the day. And I think that's the point. And, and what we're objecting to with icebreakers is when it's discrete and disconnected and it's perhaps formulaic and it's not yeah. necessarily really having any significant impact anyway, other than filling in a bit of time. That's yeah. what we're both objecting to. But we're both kind of saying if you can get the other boxes ticked, then it's actually it's, it's just good, could be good training yeah. design. Yeah, so I, th- I think absolutely. we're in agreement, really. I think I think we're in agreement. I think we are. I need to think, think about a name. I agree. Social environment building activities is a bit wordy. There needs to be another word for them, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Socializers. You don't like warm ups. Socializers. Socializers could be, yeah. Socializers. Socializers. I think that's all right. You're not convinced, are you? I can tell. Um, I am convinced, I think, a little bit, but I, I need to let it lie a little longer to see whether that's the final term that we use for these activities. So Okay, so socialisers in draft, but we're not we're not ready to make a decision. Okay. Not quite ready, no. Not to, not ready to make a commitment to that one yet. So I mean we talked about physical environment and we talked about things like posters and gen- generally stuff that you can do that's colourful, that creates curiosity, that breaks the, the that kind of colder environment of a typical meeting room yeah all of those kind of things and there's, there's quite a few ideas in there we talked about social and emotional environments then and around the way we welcome people the way we treat people the way we design activities to encourage collaboration and the yeah. way we, we do inclusive welcome as a good example are there any other very specific things that you do which aren't intuitive that we might not think of the tricks that you've learned over the years some people do the contracting Thing, you know with people because that's sort of like buy-in isn't it it's an emotional thing but it's also a social thing as well it's sort of like writing up rules and things and and some people have a, a list that they use and get people to sign up to and I um I never used to pay much attention to this until I got I had the most awkward participant on a program a number of years ago of all of my years in in being a trainer facilitator and that's some number of years it's over 25 years and um, it really made me think about how I set up that, that that bit you know that sort of contracting and bonding and what have you and so I use three questions and they come from clean language um, and I found that they really really work well so instead of saying okay so how are we going to work together and then just getting a load of stuff from everybody and it's usually you know similar stuff there are three questions so the first question is in order for this to be a value to you it has to be like what so I'll repeat that it's in order for this to be a value to you it has to be like what and it sounds a bit weird the question but it does seem to dig deeper than that sort of how are we going to work together 
And so that's the first question. And usually they put things like we want it to be challenging, we want it to be fun, we want it to be practical, all those things that you might write in anyway. And then the second question, whilst I'm writing down what they actually say, I don't really make any comments apart from thank you. And I don't make any comments as to one being any better than the other, but I might ask people to clarify what they mean. So I don't sort of say a lot about it. I don't comment a lot about it because this is stuff about them and I don't change their wording either. And then the second question is, um, in order for it to be like that, you have to be like what? So it's in order for it to be like that, you have to be like what? So this is about them and their behavior and what they're going to be like. So they usually say non-judgmental, respectful, um, engaged, motivated, participative, all of those things. And again, I sort of write everything down without comment, without changing anything, just thank them for it and just ask anything else, anything else. And then the final question is in order for you to be like that, others have to be like what? And so that's about how we're going to behave with each other. And most of the time people will say, oh, exactly like we said before, or, or, or add a few more things in there. And again, I just sort of thank them for it. And then I sort of keep those up on the wall um, over the period of the actual program. Now, if I don't have time to do that in the actual face-to-face -face bit, I might do that on in a virtual way, ask people to, to do that beforehand. So people are starting to think about how they're going to, what they're expecting, but how they are going to expect themselves, their own behavior, what, what is expected of their own behavior, but how they will behave with each other as well. And so that has an impact on the environment, um, the way that people interact together as well. That's a really good example. I like that. But when you started and you were saying contracting, I thought, oh, I'm not sure that quite answers what I asked, because I think contracting is a fairly standard thing that to me feels a bit tick boxy. But actually, that's a really innovative way of doing it, which I think really does make people think about it differently. It, it really does. If you can do it up front as well, as you suggested, so like in, yeah. in a social, you know, WhatsApp group or whatever. Yeah. Then again, you, you're getting that social stuff started before you even get in the room. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned and, earlier anyway. And I found that actually that's, that creates a bit of cohesion and those rules which you're not imposing those. Those are things which people have agreed. And so what I found with that is it tends to go much deeper than that normal brainstorming of how should we work together. And so somebody might say, I want it to be joyful. And somebody might say, what do you mean by that? <laughs> you know, and people will ask each other questions about what do you mean by that? And it seems to create a dialogue and it seems to also get people curious about what they mean by certain things so that they clarify what they mean by it as well. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Getting people, as you say, in dialogue quite quickly. Yes. Yeah. So that is an icebreaker, but I wouldn't call it an icebreaker. Would you, would you call it a socialiser? It is a socialiser. Yeah, it is. I'm sort of growing into that one, it's actually. Right, it is it? a socialiser. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Chris. I think that's that's a, a really innovative way of doing what. So otherwise, to me, feels like I said, a bit tick boxy and a bit sort of laborious. And I'm not sure how valuable it is to people. But actually, if you're doing that and you're getting that those discussions, you're using it as a socialiser. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then, um, then I think you know it does feel like it. Uh, it's a lot a lot more of a valuable thing and it's helping to build that environment that we talked about 
Yeah, yeah, I do. And I and I've seen the difference, you know, I've seen the difference that it makes. And, you know, something feels more cohesive about that group when you go through that activity and go through that exercise with them. And I haven't had as difficult a participant as I had. And I think that might have helped this person just knowing what they were like. And it would have set some ground rules and um, expectations as well. Great. Well, thank you very much for that, Chris. And thanks for talking us through your thinking around the environment that we need to create and pay attention to, really, really pay attention to this and not just the physical, but also that social and emotional. And those three questions, I think, are really useful. I'll put those on the website as well so people can read them. Brilliant. Can I just say something as well in just an addition? And you you may not have thought of this, John, but it's just popped into my head. But I'm sort of like thinking about, well, how does this apply to an online environment? Because, you know, there's more and more online um, learning going on. So how does it apply? And I think it it can apply to an online environment as well. In fact, I think it's more important because if you think of the disconnect people may feel if they're sitting in an office and they aren't physically connected to all the other participants, if you are doing, say, some live online learning, you can do some of this stuff beforehand to get people connected and get people warmed up. And I've done that with various programs that I've run where people are going to be, first of all, meeting via webinar uh, and doing some live online learning and and basically to get them warmed up quickly doing stuff you know we've done the three questions and done it in chat boxes and things and so i think you know it's equally applicable online as well as are the other secrets as well yeah that's no, a really good point and it's, it's a great question and I, I was thinking at at one point when we were chatting then about how it applies mainly to face-to-face environments or a lot of what we were talking about but you're right some of this some of this emotional social social stuff obviously the physical not so much but the emotional and social stuff is more important yes absolutely and actually all the other secrets as well they are equally applicable to an online environment in fact any sort of learning environment it's not just about face-to-face a lot of the examples we've been using have been on face-to-face but it's equally applicable and sometimes more important so if you think about you know any other sort of learning that's that's not face-to-face if you've got woolly objectives and they're not focused on the business, neither are they meeting any of the learners' needs, people aren't going to get engaged in it, you know. And if it's not face-to-face, you've got that added complexity of trying to get people, um, you know, to engage with it. So, um, so yeah, so all of them are applicable to any other sorts of learning, including online varieties as well. Yeah, I think online facilitation is quite a different beast than face-to-face it takes a, a different kind of approach. So it's probably a subject for another podcast, I suspect. Maybe, yes. Well, thank you very much, Chris, and good to speak to you again. And Thank you. Uh, are you still standing up? I am still standing up, yes. Oh, well done, well done. So the, the whole of the interview. I'd, uh, we, we have to get back together again because we have to do the fifth secret. So we've got the we full box. To. We have to do it because then there's a box set of six, isn't there then? Yeah. Or is it be- seven? Because it was two for the first one. Yeah. But two for the original, sort of like five secrets, weren't there? In two yeah. parts. And then we've got five, so that's seven, a box set of seven. Yeah, and then we could have an extras and outtakes thing. 
<laughs> not that we not that we make any mistakes, Chris. But no, 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 no. And we won't even mention the one that never got recorded, and we sat through it and talked about it, will we? Uh, well, no, well, we can't include that for obvious reasons. No, that we didn't mention. That we chose not to mention the fact that I accidentally <laughs> turned off the recorder. But never mind. We got there in the end. Well, let's hope so. I hope so. Yes, I hope so. This let's time, this one did record. Yes, I'm sure it will. Well, let's hope so. And thank you very much, Chris. And we're looking forward to the last one so that we can package this box set and then sell it for vast amounts of money. Okay. So have a great Christmas. Although this will probably get released after Christmas, so that probably won't make much sense. But No. But anyway, yes. still have a great Christmas, even though this is probably going to be released after Christmas. Yeah, well, you too as well. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, as always, John. Thank you, Chris, and you.